back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Another fascinating guest this week who joins me uh, to talk about a really important topic, copywriting. It's no secret that copy converts. If you remove the images from a website, you're going to have a pretty dull website, but visitors can at least find what they need and they can crack on and and get the job done. But if you remove the copy from a website, it's a pretty meaningless display of colour. My guest today is Katrina McKinnon, founder of Copysmiths, and we're going to be exploring how you can get visitors to engage with the website and how to find, hire and manage good copywriters. Let's get Katrina on now. Hi, Katrina. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just uh, give us a bit of your background, a quick introduction about yourself and uh, kind of what, what you're up to today as well? Thanks, Will. I'd love to. So I'm the founder of copysmiths.com and we write articles for e-commerce stores. So we, and you know, and that's literally it. We just do this one thing, but we try to do it really, really well. Okay. So like like blog articles and things or, yeah. like, or kind of the e-commerce side content. Yeah. So let's say if you had a fountain pen store, let's say you were selling fountain pens online, we would write articles about how to clean a fountain pen, which fountain pens are the best for graduation gifts, or what are the handwriting styles of the rich and famous and which fountain pen did they use? So we literally write content for an e-commerce store to put in their blog. And then those blog articles attract organic traffic and allow Google to understand what your website's about. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. I probably should have clarified that for you. Yes, you're quite right. <laughs> That's right. Cool. So uh, how, how do you make this content special? How do you how do you keep customers clicking? So to keep customers clicking, it's a great question, <laughs> clearly, because the name of the yeah, podcast. Yeah. I, yeah. I need to give you credit for that as well because it came up in our, <laughs> yeah, our no, original okay. call. No, but I love that concept. Like, how do you get customers to click? I think it's such a great idea. Everyone does it really differently, and I can tell you how we do it in content is – The simplest things are what get people to click. So we've tested this and we've tested all those, you know, fancy call to action buttons. We've tested, you know, does this shade of orange get people to click more than that shade of orange? And the thing that gets people to click is literally images. People love clicking on photos, particularly photos with a little bit of text in it that says something about maybe a product feature or something about what's in that photo. People love clicking on really simple things such as click here. They also, just the text, and that still works, you know. And then the other thing is they will often click on, and this is a really, really great tip for any of the listeners, is people will click on things inside tables. So when you see just a plain old HTML table, it's got a sense of authority to it because there's often comparison data in it. So, you know, maybe the cost of this fountain pen versus that fountain pen or whether it's got this nib function or that nib function. If you put a link to the collection page or category page or a product page on that word, the nib, you know, three millimeter nib, people will click on that all day, every day before they click on the button that says shop now. So we've learnt that people click on just the really standard, normal, everyday HTML elements. Well, yeah, they're clicking on the stuff that's actually relevant to them, aren't they? You know, the shop. Yeah, that they believe. Yeah. You know, what what do you what would you rather click? The the little bit of information, which is very specific to you and exactly what you're looking for, or the shop all button, which you know is just going to dump you back in the store. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's what we found people click on. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> when you when, when we spoke before, you mentioned something about fun drunk aunties. 
Oh, yes. Okay. So fun drunk aunties is a type of content that we do. And I know that sounds terrible, but if you think about your auntie who's drunk and she's dancing on the tabletop, she's either going to go crashing to the floor and sort of slide down underneath, never to be seen for the rest of the night, or she's going to make a splash and look amazing and be the life of the party. And so we do a type of content that I jokingly called fun drunk aunties because they're a little bit on the wild side. And so I'll give you an example of one. Rocky Kanaka is this fabulous YouTuber. He raises money for shelter dogs and he does all these videos. He's very famous in America. He's got this fabulous YouTube channel and he, what he does is he says, right, I'll take these shelter dogs and take them to a pet store and they can choose any toy or any, you know, food they want out of that pet store. And so what we did was we noticed that he, to support his philanthropy, you know, his good work that he does, he sells dog toys. And we noticed that he had this puppuccino shaped dog toy. And so what we did was rather than, you know, everyone else would write an article about what's a puppuccino, how do I make one? And that's what we discovered was that's what everyone writes about. All we did was we collated 100 photos. It was one, we call it the 101 ways content, but we call, we, we collated 101 photos of dogs eating a puppuccino and some of them are hilarious. So they're things like, you know, what are those, what are those tiny little dogs called with the really boggly eyes? You know, their eyes are sort of popping out and chihuahuas. Yeah. 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 Chihuahuas. And so, you know, and there's all these gorgeous huskies and border collies and chihuahuas and little Jack Russells and all sorts of dogs. And they're all, you know, licking at these puppuccinos. And so that's an example of fun drunk auntie content where, you know, it's not made for the search engines. It's not, it's, it's really for people to just have some fun and do a little bit of dancing on the table. But that kind of content ranks extremely well. And so, you know, the Puppuccinos had a, you know, a volume of 38,000 searches in the search engines each month. And that article now ranks in fifth place and brings them an enormous amount of business. So sometimes fun drunk aunties are hugely wildly successful and sometimes they just pass out under the table, not to be seen for the rest of the night. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's a bit like, I don't hear it so much anymore, thank God, but going, yeah. going viral content. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like viral content. So it's, it, I guess it's kind of a similar thing, right? It's, it's the sort of content that either it's going to do nothing and it's just going to have been a waste of time and no one pays yeah. any attention or people go mad for, everyone wants to link to it, everyone wants to share it. And so, yeah, it drives loads of traffic. It gets that Google ranking and yeah. does really well. But it's, it's, from what I've seen, you can't, it's not always possible to tell what's actually going to perform. No, of course not. The idea. And you might, you know, even if you're experienced in it and you've done it before, you might think this is a great idea and it just flops. Oh yeah. That's why all our fun drunk auntie content, like it costs exactly the same amount as how to wash a fountain pen, you know, like it's cost the same as a standard article. So it's, you're only taking a tiny risk. It's a few hundred dollars to take a tiny risk, but we've seen it. We've, we've, we've done it multiple times and it does work, but I think people put too much pressure on it and they spend too much money on it. And they, you know, and we always sort of say, you know, what we do is we test these drunk auntie ideas and if it works then you can repeat it so you know another one that we did was handwriting styles of the rich and famous and you know really all we did was we went through penmanship porn in reddit 
And this was for the fountain pen store. And we just found the most beautiful handwritten notes that people had done. And they'd already been upvoted by all the Reddit users. So that whole viral thing, we Mm. didn't need to worry about whether that content was going to be popular because Reddit had already said it was popular. And so we just collated it into a post and, you know, attributed Reddit. And and the the first one happens to be Meghan Markle, that girl that married that prince in the royal family. And, and you know, she's got beautiful handwriting, but so does everyone else in this article. And, again, that article is it's not made for the search engines. It's barely got any text. But we know that people love that sort of stuff. And subsequently, that article also does extremely well for that client. He makes thousands and thousands of dollars off that article, and it cost him a few hundred dollars. So, again, you just yeah, never know. But, yeah. You could even kind of argue that, really, there's no value in that article to the reader. No. No. You look, no. Or I suppose if you're really into calligraphy or something, there's that kind of emotional value, I suppose. But, you know, there's no, it's not educational. It's not really informative. No, it doesn't. But, but people are still looking for entertainment. So even though yeah. they're browsing a website because they have to buy a graduation gift for their nephew because they've been told by their family to go and do it, so they're looking for an education on which one is the best, they see that article and they have a few moments of fun and then that creates brand awareness and brand affinity. So they think to themselves, well, this is a really cool website. You know, I'm feeling happy because I was just watching the fun drunk auntie and then maybe they'll buy. Yeah. So how do you, how do you discover these opportunities? Oh, I think it's just, I mean, I don't really have a great answer for this. It's noodling around in the search engines and not being fearful of trying new ideas. So When people work with us, they tend to order batches of content at a time. So they're not sort of saying, oh, we just want one article and it's really, really got to work. You know, people will order 50 articles from us and we'll often say, hey, listen, do you want to try just a couple of pretty wild ideas in there out of two, two out of the 50 articles? And people are often totally fine with taking that risk because they also want to be entertained. They want their business to look alive and to have a little bit of fun. And so people will often do that. And so all we do is we just noodle around in hrefs and we look for very, very high volume keywords that have an enormous amount of traffic. We look for keywords that have a higher CPS, clicks per search average, which means that people have mainly got, you know, they've got multiple tabs open. They're going to click on an organic result if possible. And then really we just think a little laterally about those keywords and we think very visually about them. So we just think, would would this article, would this keyword, sorry, would this keyword suit pictures? Would this keyword suit lots of video and YouTube shorts or TikToks or what what can we pull together that's fun? So uh, are most of these articles kind of vis- very visual image or video? Some of them are, some of them aren't. So some of them we will do PDFs, lots of PDFs like posters and signs that get printed out. So another client has a first aid product, a first aid kit that they sell. And for those guys, we made loads of safety posters and there's nothing fun about safety posters, about, you know, getting your, having a heart attack at work. But we made all these posters that showed, you know, how to call the emergency service in your, in your country and, and also, you know, how to, you know, treat a burn, you know, little things for in the workplace kitchen. So none of that was fun, but it got picked up all around the world by 
loads of different organizations who also needed that kind of human resources collateral for their businesses. So it's not always a fun drunk auntie and it's not always, it can be quite serious and it's not always visual. It's just not a blog post with 1400 words. That's what it's not, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's not a, it's not an educational, informative piece. It's you're either going to find this entertaining or useful, but like practically useful. So in this example, yeah. they just print it off and and go. And I guess a lot of brands would, in a similar space, might have thought of this idea, but actually probably turned it into something that went on their e-commerce site to sell. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And up, upsell alongside other products or you know now that you've bought this product have you thought about putting these uh, these posters up or these these yes yeah, so, yeah, so to actually yeah, use it as a as more like a almost like a lead gen piece i suppose just saying look you just, just take them if you need them yeah um, they treat them like you, it's a really special kit. yeah sorry they treat it like it's a really special one-off thing but it doesn't have to be you have to try lots of different things in content in order to you know try to get the organic traffic because there's so much competition out there yeah yeah, absolutely. So, how do you how do you come up with that good quality content? What's the what's the process? Yeah, sure. We've got obviously because we've you know got a fairly complicated process at the moment because we're sort of fully fledged. This is all that we do every day, all day. But I think for your listeners, I'll break it down into the key points so that anyone who wants to produce really good content can. And so the first thing you need is you need someone who can write at an affordable rate. On Upwork and those sort of freelance gig sites, there's some really, really, really great copywriters out there, but they can also not be as affordable as a lot of small businesses wish they were. So it can cost a thousand or a couple of thousand dollars, you know, $600 just to get one blog article. And the thing about blogging is, and for anyone, is you need to write well and often. Those four words is literally what Google says in its advanced blogger guidelines is write well and often. And often is really key to this because you, you want to keep producing good quality content. So hiring a very high quality copywriter isn't always affordable for some businesses. So we get all of our copywriters from Kenya. So Kenya is this, it's obviously in Africa and huge population. I think the population of the cities is probably close to about five, six million in Nairobi. And they have a very, they have a strong focus on the arts and literature and the humanities. Huge proportion of the young population has a university education. So they're highly educated and their economy is a little bit tough. They're actually going through elections at the moment and their economy can suffer from their government being quite tribal. So they will, their economy is not great. So they're very affordable for a lot of businesses in other parts of the world, just like the Philippines were very affordable for virtual assistants. Kenya is really affordable for writers. So we go and find all our writers in Kenya and that's a great place to start for anyone. The second thing that people need to do is to write, is to, is to create a template for their articles. Everyone I've seen creates a brief, an article brief, But if you were to create a template for what you want to see in your article, then it can be repeated time and time again. And you can sort of put notes into your template to sort of say, oh, well, at this point, we'd really like you to talk about the product here or our service here, or at this point, we'd really like you to do, you know, whatever it might be. So 
One of the things where I think people really struggle with businesses is they'll often provide an article brief, but they don't get something back that resembles what they are expecting. And so it's a bit like saying, well, instead of just telling the chef what you'd like for dinner, why don't you provide the recipe? And so that's what mm-hmm. the template is, is it's like a recipe It's that they can literally just follow the steps. And then the other thing is we use screencasts a lot to provide feedback. So another thing that's a real productivity time saver and also provides far more clarity is we've got a tool, it's called loom.com. Most people know about it these days, but it's a screencasting tool and we will literally open up the article in front of us and then talk it through and say, oh, we'd like this changed or I don't like this or can you change this? And talking it through, you can often convey a lot more information than simply writing back to the writer and saying, oh, look, I just didn't like this. The screencast can then be an educational resource for any other writers. So in our own in-house training program, we've got hundreds of screencasts that are based on all the thousands of articles that we've ever written. So new writers to the team can literally look up and see examples of how we want things done as opposed to having to read a document and interpret it in their own minds. So those are the three things I would say can really help people if they want to do blogging on their own stores is find somewhere that's affordable with very high quality written English, which is Kenya at the moment. Use an article template instead of writing an article brief. And then the third thing is use screencasts to communicate because it's easier to clarify your thoughts often. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really valid point on that last one. It's something I've I've struggled with for my business, right? I've yeah. trying to document processes. Not only is it incredibly boring to do that. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you're constantly thinking, do I need to put this step in or is that an obvious step? Yeah. And then you put it in and then, then you realize that you're, your simple process for you know sending an email for example could be yep. suddenly 20 steps long in a document and you're thinking for that just it just looks ridiculous for the task but yeah. if you if you do it on video it's so much easier to just show and explain at the same mm-hmm. time yeah. uh, and just and just make it so much easier and there's a few things you probably want to put in in written form just as notes so, you know, I do a lot of outreach on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'd want job titles to be just listed mm-hmm. so that, you know, I can look through that list and go, cool, right. These are the job titles. These are the industries. These are the locations. But then the mm-hmm. actual, how do you do it in LinkedIn? That can just be a, a quick video. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really useful. That's something I need to, I definitely need to do more. We'll um, often like write those steps. So we might sort of say, you know, open the email and then you would literally, you would sort of open the email program. And then we would, we literally put the word learn at the end of that sentence. And that's where we then link to a video that shows them how to go and find the login permissions and get into Gmail or whatever it might be. And then when it's go and find the job description, you know, the, the uh, job title, it, we have learn at the end of that sentence. Okay. And then it's literally you can then, and by breaking your screencasts down into two-minute things, it means that if you want to delete a step, you don't have to redo your entire screencast that might be 15 yeah. minutes long. Uh, yeah, I think that's really good. And also you, yeah. can get the key, so you get the key steps in there, but without yeah. having to actually write down the explanation of how to do exactly. each key step. Exactly, yeah. And the key is to keep those screencasts really super short so that you can delete them. You can literally get rid of them and replace them with another one-minute or two-minute step as opposed to redoing the whole thing. Yeah, definitely have to look into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Regarding templates, how, can you, how do you approach it, though? If you're, if you're a brand, you've not really done much content before. 
you know, it, from my point of view, if I was doing it, I, I would kind of want to push back to the copywriter really a bit and say, this is why I'm hiring you. Right. Yeah, I, I, don't, totally. I don't know the content that I want. I don't know how it should, how it should be formatted. So how, how would you approach those sort of situations? Yeah, sure. No, I totally get that. What I would do is I would actually just Google online and say listicle template. And you will be able to then, Google will give you 50 examples, or let's just say the top five examples of a listicle template. And you as the business owner, you just look at those five examples and you pick one and you go, I like the look of that template there. Because there'll be lots of content marketers who make these templates and give them away for free. And so you just pick a template that you like, but you will always want to tweak it because you'll sort of say, oh, look, you know, in the beginning, I always like to talk about our company and introduce our service. Or at the very end, I always want to have a call to action, a really strong call to action that talks about our company. And so you can literally write that in the last paragraph of that template. And you can just literally write, writer, comma, in the last paragraph, I would like a strong call to action that directs people to our ebook. Lorem ipsum, da, 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 da. And then you just fill in the rest of it with your text. The other thing you can then do is you get a bit of a feel for what does 1400 words look like? So with a template, you can sort of say, oh, well, I'm going to expect to see about two pages of text nicely spaced out like this. And it just means that that template becomes this boilerplate. And as you become more familiar with the blogging and the writer, you will have preferences And it becomes a boilerplate that future writers can use. And that's what's most critical because you will bring all these ideas. So let's, and another, another thing I need to tell you is that you'll see something cool on someone else's blog and you'll go, Oh, I love how they've got this click to tweet insert. I want that. I'll go and put it in my template. So as long as that template is your single source of truth, and it will evolve over time and you'll be like, you know, a little bowerbird, a maven that sort of goes and collects things out of the internet and sort of says, oh, I really saw this cool thing I saw on this other blog. I want that in my blog articles. I want my video. So I've got this really strong video channel. I really want videos inserted into my blog articles every single time. And so you can put that instruction into your template. So it does evolve over time. But to get started, I wouldn't push back to the writer because the writer is only going to go and search Google and pick something that gives you no choice. Whereas if you're actively guiding that process, you're taking responsibility for that outcome. And you're saying to yourself, well, this is actually what I want to see on my blog for my business. This is what represents us best. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. How you you mentioned kind of where to find a copywriter at the moment, Yeah. but yeah, how do you go about like finding good quality copywriters? Yeah, how, how would you actually find them? Firstly, yeah. but also, yeah. how do you kind of vet them? How do you yeah, how do you sure. qualify, you know, qualify them? Yeah, that's like we we actually. I was going to say it's hard, but we're actually getting quite good at it now. And it's taken us years. I only say that because it's taken us a couple of years to get good at it. There's a website called QHustle.com. I'll spell that. It's K U H U S for Sam, T for Tom, L E dot com. Q Hustle is, it's often, it's not a super active website, but it's a Kenyan freelancing website because the Kenyans can't often get accounts on Upwork. So the Kenyans don't really have access to all those platforms that we all use, such as online jobs or freelancer.com or, you know, Upwork. They don't actually have easy access to those platforms. So, 
you won't often find Kenyans on those platforms, but Q Hustle is this thing. It was started, I found it years ago. It was started by this entrepreneur and he never really got it off the ground. But I think I've now spoken to hundreds of people about it. And so I'm really hoping that he's got more traction because it's just about the only place where you can get access to Kenyans. So you will have to put a job posting in there. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And what you'll find is in within about a week or two, you'll probably have about five writers in your inbox. And then you just keep posting your job every couple of weeks or every month. And the momentum builds because people talk. So the Kenyans will talk to each other and say, oh, there's this job, you know, this company's looking for writers. Are you interested? Because of course they, they're all doing an English literature degree together at university or they're doing a law degree and they say, oh, I've got this writing gig from this client. You might want to work for them too. And so that's the only real place where you can find the Kenyan writers. And then what we do is we have a series of questions that we ask. We literally say, could you please send us your three most recent best articles so that we can have a quick read through. We then say, could you tell us, you know, we want to see a LinkedIn profile or or a Medium account or a blog. We just want to know that you're real and that you exist because there are a lot of charlatans out there who will apply for a job with you, but they'll actually get their cousins to do all the writing, if you know what I mean. They, it's called, uh, yeah, it's called drop servicing. And so it won't be really the person who you think you're working with. So we tend to go back and forth in a few conversations in emails and we simply ask questions. We just ask them what they're doing, you know, how they're going, what they what they thought of this other job that they had, what's happening in Nairobi today. And after you've had a conversation back and forth in an email four or five times, you're not only getting to know that person, but it's a writing test. So we will have people who give us their writing, they will write thousands of words back to us based on our questions that we ask them. And if they reply adequately with the correct punctuation and they string their sentences together coherently and they make sense and they're interesting, well, then that's a writing test in itself. And that's when we move to the next step and ask them to write for us. Okay. So do you do you do, you do like a, a test job with them or is it pretty much just here is the job, you do this one if it's good, we'll keep working with you. If it's not so great, then yeah, you know, the test you, is got, usually paid, the, not- yeah, the test is usually the back and forth email. Yeah. At the moment, we are asking for an unpaid article, a very very short unpaid article. It's a few hundred words from them. They don't have to do it. We can just assess based on the back and forth, but it allows us to see whether the style that's in their portfolio is the same as what they supply to us. Because what will often happen as well is that people will post articles to their portfolios that have been professionally edited by whichever company they worked for. So you don't get a true sense of how much work, how much editing work their article will need before it's in a a publishable state. So we do at the moment, it's quite new and we'll probably might stop it in the future, but we do ask for an unpaid trial because I'm super uncomfortable asking for free work. We don't publish any of that work, of course, and they then use it on their portfolio and it's something they can, the topic is something they can easily use. It's, you know, things like, you know, three ideas to get rid of writer's block. So it's nothing that we would ever use. But, and then after that, we will literally take them into our team and we give them an article to write, which we then pay for, but we coach them through that process. And so, as I was saying before, like we've got a fairly complicated process that 
other people don't need to do, but because we have a sizable team, we need to just really make sure we're getting the best quality people. But if a business owner is listening to this or a content marketer and they want to just do it for their own website, it's enough to go on to Q Hustle and keep posting once a month. And then it's enough for you to have a conversation back and forth four or five times with that writer asking them a comp- asking them questions about whatever you like you know what do they think about i don't know what do they think about elon musk these days and you will basically get a writing test from them on the spot because it's unlikely that they'll give access to their personal email account to other people that they might be drop servicing to and you will also just get to see what the quality of their writing's like and you get to know them that's the easiest way to do it i think if someone's a business owner who's listening to this yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've hired people on Upwork and people per yeah. hour, maybe a couple oh, of yeah, other sites. Oh, yeah, that's the other one, yeah. yeah. And uh, obviously, depends on what the job is, right? You know, most of what I ask for is design work. So yeah. I'm not so fussed about the way they write, yeah. but there can still be a little bit of, you know, are they going to understand my instructions properly if, they're, yeah. if their English is really bad? But also just generally in terms of how I feel it's going to be working with someone, if yeah. their responses are really short and blunt, don't hire them. Then I'm kind of like, I, I feel like you're going to be difficult to work with. Yeah, you might totally. be an incredible designer, but you don't yeah. seem interested. You don't seem uh, en- engaging, and it's that sort of thing that's putting off. So yeah, it's going to be a bit of joy in life, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's the, the writers are. The other thing I'd say about the writers is you do need someone who's a good quality writer. The other thing that we do, and the, well. This is another thing that I think listeners could take note of as well is we only pay for the work that we will actually publish and we give our writers a checklist. So we say, and it's really simple things. Again, you can just Google it, article checklist. And what it is, is it's things like, have you proofread the document? Are there spelling errors? Yes or no. We do not pay for a document that has spelling errors. And so we literally, if it's got spelling errors, we just send it back. We don't even bother looking at it any further because it's up to them. They've just written 1,400 words. They're the one who spent a few hours writing and we're not going to pay for it until it's spell checked. And then it's also things like, have you spelled the client's name correctly? Have you spelled the product name correctly? Have you included the links that we asked you to include? We require um, alt text on every single image. We require images that aren't cliched stock photos. And there's literally a checklist like that. And it's either a yes or a no. And if it's a no, we just send it back to the writer. It's their problem to fix that because ultimately they're the ones that want to get paid And so as soon as the article complies with a checklist and any business owner, anyone who's listening to this can do that, you just simply say, here are 10 things that I need from you in order to pay for that article. And it's that just works brilliantly as well. And so just pay per 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 word or just pay for an article as well. Don't pay by the hour, but pay something reasonable, of course. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, that makes sense. It shouldn't be something someone should push back on because if it was your job, you know, if you were yeah. an employee within a company and your job was yeah. copywriting, you're not going to hand a an, an unfinished article over and then expect the manager to to edit it. You know, it's going to be no. Yeah. You, you've made spelling errors. You fix it. Do you recommend tool, just, tools for this at all? Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and that's my point about like what you were sort of saying was that 
you know, how do you get people to sort of comply and it's, you know, how do you get the result that you're expecting? You just write it down in simple point format. But the tools that we use, we used a tool called Surfer SEO on a couple of thousand articles, but we've stopped using Surfer SEO because I believe that Google Google has literally stated quite emphatically that they are searching for content that has been spun by artificial intelligence. They're looking for AI-generated content. As and in, when you say looking for it, you mean they're they're on the lookout for it to... Oh, yeah, definitely. To, and they're actively yeah looking for of, it to um, ban people. Yeah. yeah, punish it. Yeah. And so Surfer SEO doesn't do that, but Surfer SEO is a really great tool that we use for, you know, as I said, thousands of articles. It is, and the guys who run it are just brilliant and they are, they are um, improving it all the time. We don't use it anymore because we just don't want to have a sort of a footprint. Like we don't want our clients to have any exposure to any kind of risk because Surfer SEO says use these 25 keywords. And I think what happens is a lot of SEOs literally go, I will use those 25 keywords exactly in the exact order that they have been written in Surfer SEO. People are a little bit, they just follow the leader as opposed to thinking for themselves. So I think Surfer SEO is a great tool for someone running a, a business blog who is just getting started and needs a little bit of structure and needs to give their writers some direction. But really, we just use Google Docs. We don't use any other content management tools because we like Grammarly or Pro Writing Aid, any of those, because we just simply don't like how their AIs write. So we prefer people with creative ideas. Most of the writers on our team are poets or authors or stay-at-home mums or virtually no one on our team understands anything about SEO or about being a professional copywriter. We very deliberately hire people who just like writing and then we teach them that structure. But tools we use, the one of the best tools I've ever come across is monday.com. So, oh, really? Oh, God, I love it. Do you, What do, do you not- think of it? I don't like it. I mean, I've never, so I've never been kind of shown how to use it. I'm trying to pick yeah. it up. I, I, one of my clients uses it and and wants me to use it as well. But I just find it so, I don't know. I, I use Trello a lot for my yeah. work because I, I find it, I think it's neat. It's really simple. Yeah. And, and personally for business, I use ClickUp, which works yes. really well for I need to do. Yeah. But Monday, one of the things I actually really don't like about it is it just doesn't really seem to notify me of stuff oh, or right. it will give yeah. me you know the daily breakdown and it's everything that's mm-hmm. happened on that in that client's board on that day and i'm like yeah. none of this is relevant to me just just okay. tell me when someone you know, so met- monday met- is not a great project management tool for running an agency so click up Basecamp, all those other tools trello so 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 much better we have we use monday as a platform so instead of me building software, hiring software developers to build software for me that manages thousands of articles and a team of like 60 people all doing single tasks, I use Monday as basically as a software platform. So it costs me, I don't know, maybe four, six, four hundred or $600 a month. So instead of hiring, I would have to hire probably two full-time developers, which would probably cost me about five grand a month to do what I do with Monday, which is four, $500 a month. I forget what it is, but we use Basecamp for just project management within our core administrative team of like, we've only got maybe four or five people in our admin team, 
But the rest of the staff, like, I don't know, there's 50, 60 people. They're not staff, but the rest of the contractors and the sort of the tasks, the gig people, that we've I've built this very beautiful platform that just rolls along and pays everyone on time. It has all the different stages of production that we go through. So, yeah, so I think that if you're trying to use Monday as a project management tool, it's, I think it's horrible. We don't use it. I tried for a little while and it was horrible. We just went back to Basecamp. Basecamp's the best. It's like, I don't know, $20, $30 a month and it does everything we need. Yeah, I've not looked at Basecamp actually. Oh, I love it. I think I've been using it for 15 years, something like that. It's idiot proof. So anyone can use it, which is what I love about it. It's not complicated at all. But Monday, I just absolutely love. I bought shares in them for a little while and then, of course, that tanked. I haven't looked at their share price for a while, but it's brilliant. Really, really, really good company. Great support, all that sort of stuff. But you just have to use it. We use it as a platform. I wouldn't use it as a as a project management tool. Okay. Interesting. I'm surprised about your comment on Grammarly. I use it. I have it installed. I use it all the time, but it is just for, it's, you know, that odd word or something. Yeah. That, and, and, you know, I don't always follow its suggestion because no. I also know that I don't write in textbook English yeah, because that's yeah. not, it isn't how we actually talk to people. So yeah. the number of times it will want to add the word to or yeah. a, or yeah. you know, one of those yeah. words I've missed out because it makes still more sense. sense it's kind of it's it, that's how i would say it yeah. um, but otherwise i find it really useful for picking up on where i've made a typo because i type too quickly and i just you know yeah. i i you know i type a whole email out and then i go through and just double check a couple of bits the I other agree one I with use, that. yeah so with the yeah. grammarly i totally agree with you i think it's a fantastic tool for individual use like that i think we encourage our writers to get a free account if they want the reason why we don't use grammarly is to run it on a team of 60 people with thousands of dollars which we just yeah. can't justify because they can write and then we've also got editors so we've got professional editors who then just go and tweak all our articles. Our editors make between 50 and 80 edits per article for style and, and you know, fluency and, and just, you know, grammar, all of that sort of stuff. So we prefer to pay the humans to create a really natural output because, again, we just don't like necessarily relying on AI when it's actually a human decision that can easily be made and we can easily pay someone. Instead of paying thousands of dollars to Grammarly because we're a big team, we will use that money to pay people. If that makes yeah. sense. But I totally agree that it's a great tool for individuals. Yeah, it's fantastic. The the other one that I use every now and again is Hemingway. Oh yeah, I love um, Hemingway. Yeah. But obviously I'm 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 not an editor. I'm not you know, I'm not a copywriter. So it is really useful for me because I absolutely would not pick up on some of the things that it picks up on. You know, yeah. I might I might look at an article. So I was editing a, a client's article the other day actually because it was a tough read. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, let, let's let's really break out. Let's restructure it a bit. Let's try and remove some of the jargon. And mm. I and I dropped its reading level by about four grades. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and just so no, I dropped it about probably two or three, just in my edit. And then mm. I used Hemingway to actually to get it down one more grade. I think by just making a couple of the changes. So that's yeah. really helpful for especially when you read why it's making suggestions as well. And you start mm -hmm. to understand and you go, okay, I get why Hemingway is telling me this is a more complicated way of of writing this. Have so, you got, Have you got a paid version? Is there a paid version? I don't know if there is a paid version, actually. You just go to They're the website, amazing, check it in. They? 
Yeah, I know. We do that as well. Like they give away so much value for free, Hemingway. Like they're just incredible. We use Hemingway when we don't use it in the team, just because again, it's not integrated into our systems, but we will use Hemingway in the hiring process. So if we're reading, if one of the team members is reading an article and just thinking, oh my goodness, I cannot understand this, they'll pop it into Hemingway. Hemingway will often show that 30% of the article is really hard to read on their grader. We then send it back to the writer and we say, Rather than it being a really personal, we hate, you know, personal attack on the writer, of course, because they've sent us one of their beautiful articles, rather than us sort of saying, oh, you can't write, we, we send them the link to Hemingway and we say, oh, pop the article into Hemingway. And then it's Hemingway telling them, oh, look, you know, 30%, you know, 30 out of your 90 sentences are, are really hard to read. And then the writer doesn't get offended because it's, yeah. they're, they're yeah. seeing it in the black and white or the red red and orange of Hemingway to sort of say, oh, you know, that, oh, that, that whole paragraph is really hard to read. And we say, yeah, you just have to make it easier to read because I just couldn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the explanations are good. It kind of tells you, yeah, you know, you do get a bit of insight as to why it's a hard, a hard sentence to read. And normally it's just the, the language you've used, the vocabulary you've used yeah. is just, you know, it's too much jargon. Yeah. It's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a great app. I've been using that for years. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So just before we finish, is there anyone or, or anyone from a particular brand who you'd like to sit down for lunch with? I don't know. Yeah, this is a tricky one because, you know, it sort of changes week to week as you see inspiring work by so many other people. But one of the things I suppose that I absolutely love and is the Remarkable tablet. I've got it on my desk right now. I'm looking at it. Um, I was thinking about this question and thinking, you know, what is something that I love using every day? And the Remarkable is amazing. So it's a tablet that's got this beautiful feel to it. Like it's like a graphite pencil and like paper. And I don't use it for anything else other than sketching down ideas. And because I'm a very visual person, I'll often use it to make sort of just little mind maps of whatever I've been thinking about. And you can use it to take notes. So if I'm listening to a podcast, for example, I'll often have my Remarkable because when I take notes with it, I then sort of think to myself, oh, I can, you know, really absorb the information that I might be hearing in the podcast. And it's just, it sort of puts all these ideas and notes into just this tiny little tablet instead of having loads and loads of pieces of paper all around. So if I could sit down with the guys that have managed to convince, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people to buy this, you know, relatively expensive thing that sits in between an iPad and a, a, you know, a Kindle, you know, their marketing is pretty sensational. So yeah, I bought one and I absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean, obviously every, I think I, I think I originally came across them. Did they kick do a Kickstarter? Yes. Yes, they did years ago. Yeah. A a long time ago now. I think it must be, Eight nine years ago, I reckon. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, probably. You're probably right. Came across that. They're now, they're now on the remarkable two. Every time I visit the website, I get retargeted. But the ads are really good, and it's yep. something that. So I I do like a pen, right? I've got some nice fountain yes. pens. Um, oh, I do yeah. tend to write things down, but it's just one of these things that I'm thinking. I could I could almost I could spend a little bit more money and get an iPad Pro. Yeah. Maybe not used, iPad Pro. Like, what's the feel lovely. like? What's the feel like with the pen on the Pro? Is it like got a paper feel? I, I just don't use it like that. Yeah. I, so I, ha- I have an iPad Pro. I, I think it's a bit more money, actually. I think an iPad Pro is like a £1,000. Yeah, right, um, yeah. But, 
yeah, so I don't use an iPad like that, but I have I've thought about the remarkable, but it's just it's so much money for it is a digital a piece of paper. paper. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, I think I think yeah, everyone's got all their different productivity tools. And I think it's good to experiment with those over time. And I change my productivity tools every so often to keep it fresh. So sometimes I'll go from just using a piece of paper to write down my to-do list. I'll use the Remarkable or I use a whiteboard. And there's also this fabulous app that I've had forever called To Do, and I'll spell it T-E-U-X-D-E-U-X.com. And I absolutely love it. It is the simplest, coolest little to-do list that I've ever used because it's just brilliant and so brilliantly designed. It rarely changes the user interface, so you can always use it. But I think it's really important to switch up your productivity tools every so often just to keep it fresh, just so you feel like you're, I don't know, doing something different. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. I switched over to ClickUp this year, March, February, March-ish, I reckon. You like it? Uh, I do like it. I use it. I probably use it horribly. You know, yeah. if, if someone from ClickUp yeah. looked at what I was doing with it, they'd be shocked. Yeah, yeah um, I know. Because I, I do basically use it as a to-do list, right? I, yeah. I've got my different lists for, you know, different clients and different mm. areas of the business to work on. I just add tasks to those. Um, yeah. every, every Friday I'll go in and I will set a priority and then I set due dates for the following Friday for whichever yeah. tasks that I want to complete next week. Yeah. And then I use the every everything tab. Yes. Which, yes. And Great I filter idea. that by to do yeah. date, which yeah. means that it will show me all the tasks that have a due date and all the tasks. So normally it's a task for this week. Obviously, if I, I have repeating tasks as well. So once I've done a repeating task, it then appears mm. at the bottom for next Thursday yeah. or whatever. But that's the way I do it. And it will show me the overdue tasks, which there are always some. Yeah. And it will show me the task for yeah, today, tomorrow. And that and and that's that's all I use it for. I don't use it as a, you know, this this bit's being worked on, this bit's, you know, in this prog- progress, because for what I need to do, that doesn't really happen yeah. that much. That's I the client that- work, which is done separately anyway. Um, I think people get really hung up on like trying to find the ultimate productivity tool, but I think like that sounds perfect for you. Like that works perfectly. I think everyone's got their yeah. own thing. I mean, if if I if I brought people into the business, you know, if I made a hire, I might have to change the process again um, yeah. and sort things out. But for me on my own, ClickUp works fine, and then Trello for the the actual yeah. client work. Yeah, yeah, Trello's great too. I love Trello. I haven't used it for a while, but it's awesome as well. I love it. It's, it's free and it's it's just super simple. Yeah. Yeah. Super simple. That's it, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all I want, really. Yeah. Cool. It's been great stuff. Thank you so much. If anyone wants well. to get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? Just copysmiths.com. Just go to copysmiths.com. You can find our socials on there. I'm really friendly, very happy to chat to people, give them advice, whatever. So I'm always happy to meet people. So, yeah, just go to copysmiths.com. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Katrina. Thanks, Will. Some great advice there from Katrina about hiring copywriters, getting things right. Remember, you're the client. If what they produce isn't good enough, get them to go back and redo it. If they don't complete a checkout or the process properly, get them again, get them to go back and finish it. It's the same way you'd work with an employee, so why not a freelancer? I particularly love the idea of fun, drunk, auntie content. You've got to think outside the box. Katrina made a great point that there's going to be thousands of articles about how to make a puppuccino, what it is, where you can get them from, whether they're good or bad for dogs. All that, you know, quite honestly, is boring content. 
but people like seeing pictures of dogs being cute. It's no surprise that a page dedicated to these pictures is going to work pretty well. Have a think about what you can do in your industry. I'm sure there's something you can do regardless of industry or product. If you think about BuzzFeed, right, they produce masses of viral content with things like this quiz will tell you what sort of bread you are. It's not valuable information to anyone, but it gets you to engage. And if you can start to get engagement, you'll start to get sales. If you'd like to hear more from Katrina, you can reach out to her on LinkedIn or head over to copysmiths.com. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Dean Lee joining me. We're going to be talking about how they achieve significant growth in a highly competitive and regulated market. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.